0: Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, name Welcome to our second session. And uh, it's entitled Dark and Beautiful, or Dark and Lovely, Knowing and Appreciating Yourself. And uh, in this session, we're going to follow the story of the shulamite woman and king solomon and uh, the premise of this discussion this talk is going to be being in a healthy relationship requires that i have a good image of myself or know myself worth or be confident in my values and in my beliefs and understand that I am worthy. The concept of being worthy because unfortunately many times people make too many sacrifices to be in a relationship and uh, they have many concessions and uh, they feel that they need to give up too much of their own values or their beliefs that they are founded upon just to be in a relationship so before I am in a relationship there is a need to know myself worth, to have dignity and to have understanding that I am worthy of God's love I am worthy of His forgiveness I am worthy of His grace and also I am worthy to be loved respectfully and not to be abused in any way you know, in uh, the veneration of the saints, we always say to the male saints and to the female saints. Worthy, we telling them that they are worthy. Of course, the ultimate worth is for God, right? Like even the word "worship" is to give due a person who is worth it, worth it. So we're saying to God in our worship, Lord you are worthy, you are worthy to be praised. But in the same sense also, God looks back at us and says, and you also are worthy. Now, how do understand this? Because sometimes in in our um, Orthodox Church understanding, we always say about ourselves that we are not worthy. Yes, this is true. It is true that we are not worthy of God's grace because we are sinners and He is the ultimate holiness. But in the same token also, God said, be holy just like I am holy, Or um, He also says that I am the light of the world, and He also says you are the light of the world, so with the difference in our understanding about God's ultimate holiness, He also allows us to be holy, God is the ultimate light, like the light of the sun, but He also gives us to be lights as if of the moon. In the same manner also God is all worthy or the perfection of worthiness but also it's important for us as his children to understand that we are worthy and we don't need to be stepped apart, okay? we don't need to have our value depreciated or give up a lot of the things that we truly believe in. So that's the premise of our discussion in the second session and we're going to look at the beautiful love story in the book of Samuel Solomon between King Solomon and a Shulamite woman, who is a simple woman, probably one of his servants, or someone who felt that she had no value, so that the king would actually give her any of his attention. And you have this beautiful symphony that's going back and forth between the king and between the Shulamite woman, and between the servants or the maids who are around her. So let's look at the contents of this presentation. I'm going to look at very briefly at uh, the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, we're going to speak about dealing with the past. Secondly, my identity in Christ. Thirdly, the little foxes. Fourthly, my beloved turned away. Fifthly, I am my beloved. Sixth, is deserving to be loved. And then the conclusion. The Song of Solomon, written by King Solomon, in around the year 900 before Christ, could be seen and interpreted in so many different ways, could be seen as a beautiful true story between the king and one of his servants uh, who gave her his his fullest of attention and romance, but throughout the centuries within the, the Jewish context this book was seen as an allegory for the relationship between God and his people who were seen as servants, undeserving yet they received a beautiful covenant with God until the coming of the Messiah. Christian uh, fathers and theologians have seen uh, this book also as a beautiful allegory uh, for the relationship between Christ and the Church, or between God and the human soul as it seeks to be saved and forgiven and uh, receiving a second chance from its Master, the Lord of all the earth. The story uh, begins with a short introduction, and then uh, the Shulamite woman, right from the beginning, she comes down with like an explosion, like a bomb, and she says, I am dark, but lovely, or dark, but beautiful. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, let the curtains of Solomon, like the curtains of Solomon, do not look upon me, because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Back in the Middle Eastern culture, and maybe still so in so many uh, cultures all around the world, they're fascinated with fair skin or lighter skin. I was watching a documentary about the the African American movement in, in North America in the last couple of hundred years, and uh, some of the things they were doing, like they were having like, um, uh, beauty contents, uh, contests, uh, and they were saying that some of the, the criteria for the women, uh, even who were of African-American descent, is how fair the skin, so the lighter the skin of the African-American woman, then this would give her an advantage to win the, the contest or the, the way that people viewed beauty at, at that day. So this is the same in, uh, in so many different cultures. Um, even in the ads that we had in the beginning of the first uh, session, uh, some of the criteria people say I want someone with a fair skin. So the idea of, of a fair skin is uh, it may appeal to someone as more beautiful whereas darker is, is a disadvantage. So this woman is coming right at the beginning of this love song and she's saying that I'm dark, like I'm tan. And this is probably a reason why most people have turned away from me. But in her heart, she's saying, But I am lovely. I am lovely. I am dark, but lovely. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has turned me. This is something that they had no control of. But in my beloved's eye, I am very different. The first point that I'd like to, to make here. While we pursue that understanding of self-worth or or self-confidence is that there's always going to be reason to think that i'm not good enough there's always going to be things like, consciously people are always thinking i'm not tall enough or i'm too tall you know my body proportions are you know what not the norm is my nose is this my eyes is that my i have a condition that's Uh, you know, keeping me away from being the perfect uh, spouse or the perfect um, husband or wife for someone else. No one would ever consider me because of my family or because of my history. Um, And I know like beautiful people, like wonderful, amazing people, just because they don't have a good enough or strong self-worth, they can never be in a healthy relationship because they feel that they're scarred. One time, uh, there was a study, and it was made in, in New York. We have a lot of people here. so <laughs> in New York, they are very judgmental uh, out in the streets. <laughs> Not the people in the streets when you walk in Manhattan. So, they got a whole group, group of people, okay? And uh, basically, they, they took them into a studio. And uh, they said to them, I'm going to draw a scar on your face. Okay? Just a, a draw with paint. Like face paint, okay? Like, like a big scar but this very apparent on your face, on your forehead, on your cheek. And then I want you to walk in, in, in York in the streets, and I want you to come back and tell us how the people feel about you. So they took you know, a few people, each one in their own room and then they drew a scar, uh, the scar and then they showed them in the mirror. And then they took away the mirror and they said okay, let's do just like some final touch-ups. So they were doing these final touch-ups. They erased the scar. They erased it completely, like it was gone. There was nothing on their face that showed that there was a scar there. And they sent them out into the streets. And then they started walking the streets thinking that they have a scar on their face. And then they came back and they asked them, so what happened? And every single one of them said that they were being judged for the scar on their face. And that people were pointing at them, and people were mocking them and laughing at them, and judging them, it's inside, it's in their heart, there was nothing in their face. People are very self-conscious in this generation that puts us down because of whatever reason. But the more that we have a strong self-esteem and self-confidence, acknowledging our mishaps, our mistakes, our shortcomings, our faults, our our sins, then we have the strength and the power to get beyond them and, and over them. Many of us are conscious about past mistakes, and uh, probably with their mistakes are the first of sinners. But whatever that sin is, some of us, some cultural stereotypes, enlarge certain sins and make them appeal that they are unforgivable sins. Whatever it is, past relationships. Whatever it is that I have done in the past, I have to understand that I am dark but new. Yes, I have done mistakes, but that doesn't mean that I lose my self-worth. And a lot of people who understand their self-worth, they're able to get beyond their weaknesses and their faults and their sins, knowing that the life of repentance is there for them and God is able to take all of our past weaknesses and renew it, renew us and completely omit these mistakes and make us a whole new. God's promise in Psalm 103 verse 12 as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. First John 9, if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The spiritual elder also um, has a beautiful saying that our was called repentance renews the forgiveness that we received at our baptism and transforms adulterers into virgins and stubbornness. Very important to understand that concept, that there is no sin too big for God to forgive. But the big question is that, do we forgive ourselves? Like maybe we understand that God forgave us, but more importantly we understand that we forgive ourselves. And once we have received that grace from God of forgiveness and healing, we have to extend that grace to others as well because we mark people based on their previous mistakes. We can never start fresh. Now it's really important to understand that we have to learn from our past mistakes and get beyond them and over them and actively seek a life of confession and repentance but at the same time we have to forgive others and understand that we cannot receive forgiveness ourselves unless we extend that forgiveness to others. I am dark and lovely, do not look upon me because I am dark very important to acknowledge our mistakes being quote-unquote dark but at the same time have confidence in God's love, God's grace and forgiveness by understanding that I am worthy and I am lovely secondly we move on with the story which is what is my identity in Christ even though she confessed her, her own weakness that she is dark but lovely. She needed that affirmation, we we'll talk about words of affirmation, that affirmation from the Beloved. And he looked at her and he said, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. And then he continues in chapter 4 verse 7 and says, You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. How amazing it is to receive these beautiful words of affirmation, because we might approach a relationship we're feeling down, that we're, we're not worthy we need these words of affirmation from our partner from our spouse from the person we're in relationship with to remind us that we are all beautiful and we don't see these faults like these faults that you're very conscious about these cars that you think that you're carrying them in the street we want to affirm that it's okay it's okay it doesn't bother me and there's no one who's perfect like i'm not perfect and if I think my spouse, my wife is going to be perfect, I'm fooling myself. But we have to work together as as a team to encourage one another. And to say, like, it's going to be okay. Things are going to be well. I remember uh, a while ago, uh, we had we had a couple. And uh, this couple were just getting to know each other. And uh, basically, you know, wonderful wonderful for two people, and then, you know, they, they were just seriously getting to know each other, and then they set the date for the engagement. And uh, right there and then, during this specific time, the lady was diagnosed with breast cancer. Breast cancer. I mean, we're not married. There's nothing committing us to each other. And uh, after all the tests and all the diagnosis, unfortunately, she had to remove one of her breasts. How do you think the impact of that on, on any relationship? Like, with common sense, who wants to be in, in, a, in a relationship? Like, I mean, this is something that is big because this illness could progress, uh, you know, she could lose her life, this and that. Myself with the couple and, and they, you know, came to me, and the lady had very low self esteem at the time because she said, I think we're just gonna have to, to break up. And, would we'll never be in a relationship that doesn't make sense. When I looked at the guy, he said, There's no way I'm, I'm giving up on her. I love her to test. She is the one for me. And I know this is going to be a challenge, but we can conquer that challenge together. got engaged, got married. Unfortunately, right after we got married, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she removed the other breast cancer. Surgically so But you know what? They have two beautiful children. They are such an adorable couple that when I, when I see them, just my heart leaps. Because I know that true love really exists and it can conquer challenges, many challenges. God bless them. I know another uh, person who, um, unfortunately in her like, five years, was uh, diagnosed with a condition for baldness and, and losing care. And uh, she's the most beautiful person. And you know, hair for a woman is like the crown. Like the, like people would see, any person, for guys involved, they don't care, right? <laughs> 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 it's a sign of uh, being handsome. <laughs> but for a woman, too, it's a right? And again, she was very self conscious and she wore the scar on. Face. And she kept saying, and I'll never be in a relationship and this and that. But thank God she also met a, a wonderful man who, who understood and affirmed and he said, you know, I do appreciate your, your, your looks and your physical appearance, you are very attractive and wonderful, but the qualities that I see in you are way beyond. And you know, ultimately this or that, you know, we we'll figured it out. But thank God they also very a relationship and they're just about to get married and pay for Behold you are fair my love, behold you are fair, you have love's eyes, you are all fair my love, and there is no spot in you. All the weaknesses that we are self-conscious about, we think that these are barriers, they might turn out to be strength. We need to be confident and know that our self-worth ultimately comes from God. Our identity ultimately comes from Christ, and through my relationship with Him, knowing that I am His daughter, knowing that I am His son, he has died for my sins, He has rose and given me eternal life in His name. And this is the source of my confidence. And I can tell you that I also have a lot of insecurities and I know it's difficult to be vulnerable with, with Bruce, but as a person also I have a lot of insecurities. And uh, even when I was just thinking about the commitment and marriage, I had a whole list of reasons for why no woman is going to accept me for who I am. and. You know, I never thought that you know I'll have a healthy and functional relationship and I've not proved that all of that was wrong. Like one of them is that like I, I make a lot of jokes and ultimately like once the, my wife will hear all the jokes she'll be too bored for me and she doesn't want to communicate with me anymore. And now my wife is like like a <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. I heard that before. <laughs> she, she bears with my weaknesses I oh, want many more which I can share later. <laughs> The idea is that we have to start with knowing and understanding my self-worth in Christ's eyes. I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Very important to understand that about who I am. Thirdly, in pursuing and knowing and understanding that I am dark but beautiful, the Book of S.W.S. refers to the little foxes. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the lovers. Like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sand. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. What are these little foxes that uh, Solomon is referring to here? What are the, the, and the early church fathers have spoken about them. Origen, for example, said these little foxes are the evil powers of Satan, which destroy the flowers of virtues and ruin the fruits of faith through evil thoughts and misconceptions. You and I have great many little foxes that enter into our mind that would ruin the whole crop. For example, we we'll start with the battlefield of the mind. Little seeds of doubt that Satan puts in our head. You are not worthy enough. You are not good enough. You, uh, you know, God doesn't care about you. He cares about the whole world but not about you. If God really cared about you, why did He make this situation happen in this way? Why did I have to, to break up? Lots of seeds of doubt and this may lead us to lead us to snatch away from the faith or from relationships with others. Also, many problems and troubles that happen with friends and family. We don't like to be abandoned. People around us who, uh, unfortunately, we don't have the time to spend with us. Don't feel that they are worthwhile, and we start feeling, you know, very down, no low self-esteem. Something that our parents have said to us, do know middle eastern culture unfortunately uh, parents say things to uh, encourage their children you know they say you will never succeed in your life <laughs> how is that supposed to happen you're the dumbest person i've ever met like <laughs> so you go to the parent and you say um you know did you mean really that they're dumb and they will never succeed no no that's not what i meant i love my child i just meant that you know to encourage them when they think that they're too dumb that they're gonna work hard and achieve the best in their life. How does that make sense? Does it even make sense? Like, you can do the opposite ends. And unfortunately, with, with many friends, and, sorry, with many family members, this is how the parents raised them, you know, by, by telling them that, you know, they're, they're the worst kids ever and they wished that they were never born. And I have one of the youth that I know. Uh, I got a a parent, like parent called me. Nine one one, you know, called me right away, da da. da. I said, okay. I, said, I called them back and they're like, our daughter ran away from home. She said, why did she run away from home? So the mother is like, because I told her I wish she was never born. Oh my. <laughs> How did you tell her? You wish that This is what you meant? I said no. She's just, you know, causing so many problems and I was angry and I just I you know, I wish that she was never born and I wish I never had her and she's the worst kid ever. So the next morning she packed her bag and, and she ran away. And unfortunately there's a lot of like, that negative energy that we receive from everyone that ultimately puts us down and makes us feel that we're not good enough, we're not worthy enough or not smart enough than the rest of our friends. The culture that we live in is, is like very academically driven and, and competitive and everyone has to be. You know, the top four or five <laughs> professions, and then other people who are not doctors and pharmacists, and lawyers, and Engineer. engineers, and, <laughs> and <all laughs> of like the <laughs> <laughs> They no, feel that the they're, they're, yeah. not, well, they're not good enough, that they, they didn't make it you know, to the cut, basically, that they were left out. And again, there's a lot of the cultural pressure from parents and friends and competition and how much money you can make, and many people are not. Unfortunately, they're not going to finish their education or they get the basic education, they do other things, wonderful professions, but they feel that they're not good enough, and that's not the right path. And and Christ wants to make us confident, regardless of how many letters we have before or after, our name that we are loved. Spiritual warfare means the devil is going to plant seeds in our mind to make us lose our virtues. And not having as much fun as others who are partying and having these intimate relationships, and, and, and. These are the virtues that he wants to ruin the fruits of faith through these evil thoughts and misconceptions. Even St. Paul admits that sometimes in our spiritual and Christian journey, there's things that we are convinced that we shouldn't be doing, but we end up doing anyways. And there's this continuous battle between the flesh and the spirit romans 8 37 for what i'm doing i do not understand for, for what i will, will I, what i will to do that i do not practice but what i hate that i do but we need to be confident that despite the little foxes that come to ruin the uh and spoil the vines he also continues in Romans 8.37 by saying, But yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is where my confidence is. You are worthy. You are loved. You are cherished. You are a true child of the Master and the Lord and the King, the Creator of the universe. Chapter 5 continues the beautiful story. And... Uh, The groom said, "Open for me, my sister, my love, my love, my perfect one, for my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I have taken off my robe, how can I put it on again? I have washed my feet, how can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. So you see here that loving is truly seeking, she didn't respond, so after a while he walked away, but she regretted it. And here I want to point out to the season of singleness, this time when, you know, she felt that she was being pursued, she rejected a little bit, so he walked away, and she did not have that feeling of companionship and care that she was yearning for. In this uh, book called The Soulmates by God, I read the story of one of the authors of the book, her name is Nicole. And she recalls that time of of singleness and how important it was for her to build and to grow in God's knowledge before she was committed to a person. She said, I was never married before I met Brad. Instead, I spent years and years in dating relationships, some long term, many short term. At first, dating was just fun for me. I had my eyes open for the man God had for me, but there wasn't in any particular hurry. I was sure my husband would come along, but then he did it and did it and did it. Even though I dated some great guys, relationships never lasted. I began to get impatient I became the kind of desperate, needy woman who turns men off. I wanted to be married, and I wanted to be married now. One day I talked to an older woman in my church who was a mentor to me. She asked me, why are you in such a hurry to be married? Well, because I'm lonely, I replied, and I want to have kids. Do you think God knows what's best for you? I suppose so. Well, don't you think that means he knows the best time for your marriage? Take some advice from someone who's been around longer than you. I look back and see lots of things I didn't get when I wanted them. And now, I'm glad I didn't. I've realized that most of those things wouldn't have been good for me right then. Relax, keep following learn, and trust him to bring the right man into your life at the right time. To be honest, that advice annoyed me at the time, even though it sounded reasonable. It wasn't what I wanted to hear. And besides, how do you make yourself relaxed and tough? But that conversation did not make me think about some of my friends who had rushed into marriage when they shouldn't have. Each situation was somewhat different. But all of my friends so wanted to get married that they were blinded to what their friends was really like. Then moved too fast. They didn't wait for what's best for them. And now they are either divorced for trying to make the best of, her, of a bad marriage. As much as I disliked being single, I didn't want to be like them. So, it's very important for us as Christians to embrace that season of singleness and seem to flourish with no troubles. Unfortunately, some others are deeply disappointed by their singleness and feel really very lonely. Some never want their singleness to end, but others seem to be very anxious to meet their future spouse. And we have to understand that singleness is not a punishment from God. It doesn't mean that I'm not in God's favor or God is trying to like, ruin my life. But basically, it's a season in life to pursue God without distractions. We can look at the uh, Epistle of Saint Paul, First uh, Epistle to the Corinthians, seven thirty-two. He said. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. How he may please the Lord. Very important that this time is a time of spiritual growth and also discerning God's will for our life. The story goes on after a season of of singleness uh, when they reconcile with one another. And uh, she said, I am my beloved, and his desire is towards me. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I want to tell you that it's very important to to turn that word I'm not worthy into that word I am worthy. I am being pursued. I'm being pursued by God and in due time with the right person that God has for me. 10% of our anxieties is what we go through and 90% is our attitude towards them. How we perceive life, how we react to circumstances, how we are patient and are able to deal with each situation in wisdom as it comes along. And that's why it's really important today to take charge of my life and to be in control of my life. Not to be impacted by others around me who change their opinion about me each and every day. Remember with Jesus, on Palm Sunday everyone was crying for him, what? Hosanna, Hosanna. And only a few days later, the same people probably were crying out, crucify it, crucify it. Now what happened? Like in four or five days, two polar opposites? One of the uh, lessons that we learned from uh, our fathers in the desert, a story that is said about St. Macarius. (coughs) A young monk came to St. Macarius and, and told him that I'm being attacked with some thoughts of pride. So he said, Saint-Makel, he said to him in the nearby village, and there's a temple for idols. I want you to go up to that uh, uh, temple of the idols, go up to the big stone statue and start cursing the stone statue. He said, What? Well, he said, just listen to me. Went, stood in front of the statue and started to curse. He came back to he said, What happened? He said, nothing. I stood there cursing him and he didn't reply, was he infected? In fact, no. He said, okay, I want you now go to up to that statue right. and start to say all kinds and sorts of like, sweet words and kind words and compliments. And, and he did the same thing, came back said, how was he infected? He said, nothing happened. He said, I want you to be just like that. I know that we're humans and we're affected by people, but keep in mind that not everyone around us always has our best interests want to put us down so that they can step on top of us and reach other levels at work or this or that. People may say things that they don't understand, but have that confidence that comes from the true source. What is really important is how God feels about me, not how people feel about me. It's nice to have confidence. It's nice to have, to make sure that people around you are, you know, building you up, or maybe receive some constructive criticism. That's also very important but never in any way lose your self-worth. Never in any way feel that, you know, I'm hopeless and and go to these deep states of of, depression and anxiety. We're living in a very successful That People, as you mentioned yesterday, they have everything that they need. Just with one click, Amazon brings it to your doorstep, and there you go, you have it. But we're still living in a generation where medicines for the depression and I know all the mental illnesses with all respect and love towards people going through mental illnesses they are worthy also and they are loved but this is also on the increase like never before the amount of medication being dispensed why is it because there's nothing that we can buy that really satisfies the soul and that self-confidence comes from within i remember um, one person who um like uh, I, I grew up with and she had the most loving personality, Honestly, honestly like, like she was a charm except that like, she always started with her like body weight and, and all of these things and um she seemed and, and she said like like you know I, I tried many times with weight and all of these things and but I could never but she was very bubbly and very happy and And, you know, one time, in she met the right person, and, you know, she's very happily married, and she has children, and lots of great things uh, from her. It's not that the things that that we feel are barriers for us, God will use to make them strength. And uh, we also should be pursuing that and acknowledging other people's gifts, and not judge them based on, you know, how self-conscious they are. We need to take care and take charge of my spiritual life my social life, my family, my work, be in control and depend totally uh, on God. Also, it's important to have intellectual stimulation, learning and growing. One of the main reasons why a lot of relationships don't continue is because people don't have anything in common to talk about. Like when people are on the phone or in person, you find that it's interesting in the beginning and. You tell each other about your life story and where you grew up and all the funny things and then you run out of stories, you run out of um, you know, topics to, to discuss. And uh, depending on people's personalities, they would, you know, maybe you're meeting someone who's very quiet. Uh, and then I was like that. I remember, I told him we have a lot very different. And uh, when we first met, it was like, uh, uh, where would you like to go eat? Like, anyway. <laughs> I choose a place, that you know, we go to a restaurant and like, what would you like to eat? Anything. <laughs> 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 it took us some time because you are making two stages together, but we needed to find common things to discuss, common interests, and there's a lot of introverts and people who are very quiet by nature, but once you start up on a topic, you know, they can share quite a bit and they're very interesting personalities. And you find some of the extroverts, like myself, who just talk, 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 like by the end of the week, you have a headache, and you say, please, just be quiet for a little bit. The people who are quieter, uh, they might be more intellectual, more thinkers, they are readers, Uh, they have knowledge of so many different uh, topics, they are current with the events. So it's really important for a couple who are getting to know each other to find out what common interests do they have. So let's say if a couple come to me and they start to say, Well, we're getting bored because we don't have any topics to discuss. What I suggest is go out and and do something in common, like an activity or a sport, uh, or pick a book that you both like and and discuss it together. Sometimes you have to be intentional. It's very important that you grow yourself along with your uh, partner or the person you're in a relationship with uh, because people now want to heal each other out and and debate things and and get into interesting conversations that really build one another. Very important to look and feel good about yourself, the way that we get dressed, the way that we wear our makeup, the way that we, um, you know, trim our beard and, uh, uh, and, and, and wear nice things, but at the same time confident, but not seductive, very fine line between these two things the way that we hold ourselves is, is very important. Sometimes it's uh, really good to, to, to look the best, okay? Uh, to act, to put forward a very nice way, not a mask, not asking you to be, you know, to put a mask or to pretend you're someone that, that you're not, but be the best that you can, not to show off in front of everyone, but just something to reflect what you have from the inside that, you know, I don't wanna speak about extremes, but but self-confidence, self-worth, understanding of who I am and not let fear blind you with, you know, hiding yourself. Then we come towards the conclusion of the story and we said, we say number six is deserving to be loved. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. How is it that we can find true love? C.S. Lewis has a book called Four Loves. And he says or identifies that in the English language we speak about love, about anything. I love my brother, I love my parents, I love my spouse, I love my dog and my cat, or, you know, or my hamster, whatever that you have. I, I just love, right? So um, in the Greek language actually breaks it up into four different words, and each one of them means something different. Story. Uh, is the first kind of love, which means like a natural empathy, like something that comes naturally, like the love of a parent towards their children. So it's more like empathy, it's something you don't have to put in a lot of effort, to just, you know, it's almost like biological kind of love. The second kind of love is called filia, which means fellowship or brotherly love. Uh, You know, Philadelphia, Adolphus is brothers, filia, you know, the city of brotherly love, I don't know if it's truly that now, uh, that's at least what it was intended to be a long time ago. So this is like friendship, or, or fellowship, and uh, you know this is something that we might all share in, in common. The third type of love is called Eros, and this is the sensual or erotic kind of love. And the marker of this kind of love is that it wants to take. Like when, when people get into a sensual relationship together, they don't care about giving as much as they're taking. They're satisfying their senses. So that's the wrong type of love that we might fall into. The highest kind of love is the agape love. And it's also known as a type of a divine love that supersedes all kinds of other love. The marker of this love is that it wants to give rather than to take. And uh, the famous verse John 3 16 says, For God so what? Love the word that he gave. So again, the word that's used there is agape. It's sacrificial love. And this is the ultimate love that you want to pursue in a relationship. But it has to be from both sides because it cannot be, you know, we cannot take advantage of each other's love. If only one person is offering the agape love and the other is just taking, it's exhausting and it doesn't work. This is not God's intention for a true love or relationship. C.S. Lewis said, in God there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plentiousness that desire to give. Plentiousness. God's love just overflows like a flood. Also he says Eros will have naked bodies, friendship naked personalities. Very transparent personalities. Another quote from the same book. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. It's being sarcastic now, so think the opposite, okay? Not even an animal, if you don't want to be hurt. Because even if you have like a little cute chihuahua or whatever dog, or pet you have, or or a hamster, or a bird, you're gonna love that, that bird as well. So if you don't want your heart to be broken because ultimately they may die or get sick, wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries that make yourself busy with a million different things. Avoid all entanglements. Don't go to gatherings or to conferences or to churches. Keep yourself away. Lock it up safe in the casket of or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable if penetratable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And I, I can't agree more uh, you know with, with this uh, quote because it really speaks volumes about our willingness to put ourselves out there. Like I know that at times and probably each person's heart was broken once or twice or, or maybe endless times. But it's okay. Sometimes it's important for us to learn and to grow from previous experiences and not to lock ourselves up and pretend that you know, the whole world doesn't exist and to have this negative image, I will never be in a great relationship, will, God will never provide for me. If we're not trying, if we're not pursuing, if we're not out there, if we're not being ourselves, how can God work that out? Being worried of disappointment or heartbreak is the worst thing that could happen to us. But being vulnerable means, and it's so difficult, like even for me, like, let's say, as as a clergy, the worst thing, you know, that that can happen to clergy is to seem or appear weak. And it's the same thing now in in our culture, because in in a dog-eat-dog world, where everyone needs to be like sharp at work, and need to be assertive, and it's very important to be that, and accomplish goals and tasks and this and that. we, We lose touch of our Human, um, as, uh, our human vulnerability, or or the ability to connect on a more personal level with our beliefs, with the people who are around us. Even Saint Paul said, "Who oh, is weak and I'm not weak," that like he was vulnerable. He was willing to put himself out there, and, and and to say that I have my own weaknesses, and and he confessed his many sins and his own weaknesses in the way that he persecuted the church, or that in the way that he. Uh, does things that he shouldn't be doing. Like we don't expect that from the great Saint Paul, but just to be vulnerable is part of our human nature, and it's really important for us to continue being human and not turn into these machines. And this is how we can ultimately, with prayer, find true love. Now, in conclusion, I want to say: if you forget everything. Said today, I want you to keep yourself conscious that I am worthy, you are worthy. I am studying you. You are worthy. You are worthy of God's love. You are worthy of God's forgiveness. You are worthy to find a healthy relationship, one that does not abuse or take advantage of you as a person, but respects you, you, you as an individual who is redeemed by God, who is a prince and a princess who is a daughter of the great King the Lord Jesus Christ you are worthy to find true love and having this confidence will give you a greater chance at truly discerning God's will for your life don't be trapped in the past but be an overcomer <coughs> in Jesus Christ even they have not made the best choices in the past we believe in repentance we believe in second chances and we have to come face to face with our own insecurities as weaknesses as a community to allow to forgive others because we expect to be forgiven by God but we seldomly extend that grace to others in the meantime if it is God's will embrace your singleness as a time of growth and commitment to your spiritual walk this is not a time to be wasted or just waiting as if you're waiting for a train to come or you know to catch a flight no you're actively waiting I cannot waste this time but it's a time to dig deeper into my relationship with God amongst other things and at the end be confident that he has you inscribed on the palm of his hands and he has you in mind all the time may God bless us today and always to continue living in faith and in confidence and doing the divine